radical encounter. Radical encounter. Radical encounter. <laughs> Welcome to Radical Encounter, a series of casual conversations about serious resistance. This show is hosted by me, Sofia Verino, a social researcher and activist living in Berlin. And by me, Patricia Silva, a visual artist and writer based in New York City. Hello, this is Sofia in Berlin, and today's encounter is with Jack Halberstam. I met Jack Halberstam during the cyborg conference at the Disruption Lab in Berlin, during which he gave a talk about the politics and ethics of human engagement technologies. Halberstam is professor of American studies and ethnicity, gender studies, and comparative literature at the University of Southern California, and one of the most influential queer theorists today. He is the author of works like Female Masculinity, The Queer Art of Failure, and of Gaga Feminism, and is working on a new project on the radical possibilities of the wild as a transgressive category. I interviewed Halberstam while we stood in the lobby of the Bethanian Kunstraum, one of Berlin's main exhibition spaces for contemporary art, and the imposing architecture and transience of the space helped shape our conversation. Well, today you didn't talk about the wild, this new project right. you're working on, but that's something you're doing. You're, you're thinking of the wild because you feel like the, the concept of queer, queer failure has done a lot of work already, right? right? Oh, but the, so, the concept of the queer has sort of lost its edge and lost its um, epistemological force to, to manage to, to critique identity we've just stabilized it again into another umbrella term for LGBTQI blah 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 and because it's stabilized we need to create these new critical vocabularies or we anyway constantly should be creating and massaging our vocabulary so that not just to say something different but to be able to describe new arrangements as they come up I mean we do live in a world that is constantly shifting and changing, even though certain structures and political orientations stay the same. And I think what I'm after with wildness is a sense of, at the same time, environmental collapse, lack of faith in state power that leads to a sort of anarchistic political intention, a desire to return to a world within which unpredictability and surprise and wonder are possible, and then the wild as a sort of scrambling of the coordinates of the human on, on behalf of reorienting away from very formulaic conventional political scripts. So all of those things that I'm trying to hold in tension under the heading of the wild. So that's the work that you're hoping that's the wild... That's the work I'm hoping to do. And I think that the category of the wild is already in play in, in anarchist context, in de decolonial context, and in indigenous studies uh, context where it either subscribes to an anti-state politics or a desire to rethink the potentiality of decolonizing peoples and places. Yeah, and then thinking about what the role of sexuality might be in all of this. You've written a lot about failure. Yeah. So I'm really familiar with your uh, ideas about failure and it's been very inspirational to me. Cool. It was really important for me to think about failure. And you've described failure 
partly as having an anti-nationalist agenda, which yeah. I really like. Yeah. So how can we use these ideas about failure and about the wild to revise, renew, uh, and perhaps uh, destroy, disassemble democracy as we practice it today, which is very much a nationalist project. Yeah. We can only think of democracy today, or we can only practice it embedded in the nation state. Right, that's right. So that's something that really concerns me, and I was wondering, how can we use these ideas and these practices around failure, the wild, the queer, right. um, to, to build a different kind of democratic participation that's yeah. not so nationalist, nation-based? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that the wild is trying to name is the fictive nature um, of the classifications that we currently use, you know, that when we say that we're French or American or, um, you know, Middle Eastern, these are designations that were produced under the conditions of colonialism, often to naturalize oppression or naturalize domination. And so that's what I mean about this decolonizing project that can, that's already in operation under the heading of the wild. There are, I think that in an era where capitalism has gone global, resistance to capitalism also has to be conducted on a global scale, not just by you know picking world leaders or something, but by recognizing that the effects of world capitalism are so widespread in terms of the production of disparity and inequality and violence and so on, that there must be, therefore, kind of massive streams of resistance to capitalism around the globe. So I think that's what Hart and Agree were trying to do in multitudes, was to say that empire has produced hordes and multitudes of people who are disenfranchised and dispossessed. But it's very hard to theorize the alternative. It's very easy to describe domination. So my work tries to figure out what some of the scripts of resistance might look like, separate from these monumentalist and triumphal narratives of a new order with a new subject, with a new political horizon. A new turn. Yeah, and so I'm, I deal in failure and the insignificant, the silly, the anti-monumental, the small, uh, the childish. Um, to look in those vocabularies for all of these different methods that have been abandoned by heroic projects and see if we can't fashion something in, in these smaller, more banal sort of settings that are more effective. I like that. I liked it very much. Um, this would be the last question. Yep. I mean, I have a lot of other questions but we to still ask you. you. But um, you come to Berlin all the time, don't you? I have come to Berlin a lot recently. Because I, I missed you another time when you were I in really Berlin. I really have been enjoying so. it, and I'm actually thinking of applying for a fellowship um, oh, that would should. bring me, because I end up knowing a lot of people here and feeling in sympathy with the way that the city is organized and how people live. And, um, and what, I, what I find yeah. here that's different from other places is most places there's just one sort of radical thing happening yeah. at any one time. And here, it's just all, it's the, all time, the time, all over the place, and there's yeah. funding for things, so they can actually happen. Isn't that right? With yeah, some technology, amazing. with things happening, you know, in a way that makes them more accessible to people, because they're not so underground, like a place like this is state-funded, yep. and we have stuff like this exactly right. happening, so that's quite amazing. So my last question, I think, because yeah. this is a really important question that's bugging me, is... Yeah. So we have this um, cultivation of health 
on yes. one side. Right? Yes. Everyone's obsessed with being really, really healthy and fabulous, right? right? Then on the other hand, we have um, most of the world, actually, most of people who are alive right now don't have access to exactly. even the most basic, right. you know, I'm not even going to say healthcare, just basic you know, food, right. some little bit of hygiene, like whatever, right. nothing. Um, and in the United States, I find that you see both at the same time, yeah. constantly. Right. In Europe, much less so. In Europe, because you have um, nationalized health. You have and nationalized health, so, so yeah. you feel like you feel in this bubble of, of, of safety. So my question is, what are we going to do about this? Because it seems like there's absolutely no way around it. I mean, there's no form of resistance. There's nothing that right. can be done. So first of all, like, I'm not a policy person, and I can't be, you know, not the person who can figure these things out. But what I can say is there is no reason that in developed countries that are like Germany, somewhat frugal with their spending, there's no reason that with these surpluses, if people are paying taxes, that they shouldn't get something back. The problem in the US is that people are inculcated to think that taxation is theft that when the government takes some of their money out of their paycheck, they're being stolen from, they're, they're being robbed. And because of that, there's an antipathy to paying taxes, which means that then there isn't ever enough money. And then the, when there is money, it just goes to the war efforts or whatever. Whereas if we co properly collected taxes and then properly funded these projects around health, there's just no reason to only administer to the lucky few. Um, but we're, we're embedded in ideologies that target the wrong things as the problem. So Americans are deeply attached to the idea that the real problem is taxation, as opposed to the real problem being that the rich don't pay taxes, which means that at the same time that the rich don't pay taxes, which is a form of welfare, the poor don't have health care, because we said we didn't want people who were parasitical upon the society. But we only mean poor people. We're happy to have parasitical rich people, but not parasitical poor. So, I mean, we've begun the project of sort of demonizing wealth, I think, in, in a certain way. There's a general agreement that there are people with too much money who don't need that money and have gotten it through corrupt uh, means. But we are not yet at a point where we're willing to go back to a sort of socialist principle of redistribution. So what we do instead is we redistribute the, the signs and signifiers of health. You know, don't eat this, eat that. Don't, um, you know, jog this much, not that much. Um, see, get a checkup on the mammogram once a year. So we're, we're offered this sort of, these regulatory regimes as opposed to thinking structurally about how we could change health systems, you know. But also with things like cancer, there's a kind of, this sunny disposition that's like we can cure cancer as if military. cancer can be cured simply by figuring out how to interact with the body that has cancer as opposed to fixing an environmental order where we're constantly in relationship to toxins even it's if very individualistic it's everything it's like what we were just saying singular, in there yeah. everything is individualistic you want a baby so all you know this entire wing of healthcare has to be organized around your achieving your personal goal. It's definitely an achievement. Yeah. Success. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So it's the individualism that 
has, I think in many ways, like distorted the social project. And in an era where there is no alternative to capitalism and socialism has been completely you know, cast as um, malevolent, then we think we have no alternatives. But we always have alternatives. And particularly in academia, people should be trying to figure out what they are. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope that you'll join us next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Rad Encounter. That's R-A-D Encounter. Radical Encounter is a digital humanities project by The Open. Our theme song was composed by DJ Tika Masala.